when I first started cooking a lot, I would say most of my recipe inspiration came from opening up the pantry or the fridge, seeing what I had on hand and trying to figure out how to avoid going to the grocery store and making something with what I had available. Welcome to the Virginia Foodie Podcast, where we lift the lid on the craft food industry and tell the stories behind the good food, good people, and good brands that you know and love. If you've ever come across a yummy food brand and wondered, how did they do that? How did they turn that recipe into a successful business? Then we've got some stories for you. Welcome back, foodie fans. As we approach the holiday season, I often take a moment to give thanks for friends and family, clients and colleagues. This year, I want to extend that gratitude to you, the podcast audience. Thank you for coming along on this first season, and please stick around, because we've got good things in store for the coming year. Today's conversation is with one of those colleagues that I'm grateful for, Liz Thompson. Based in Richmond, Liz runs the vegetarian food blog, I Heart Vegetables. Liz is a self-described lazy cook who is on a mission to show people that eating healthy can be easy, fun, and tasty. What started out as a hobby is now a full-time career for her. She's published a cookbook, and she now creates recipes and content for large and small brands. We talked about how she made the jump from her job at Capital One to full-time food blogger, and she also shares her tip for a crowd-pleasing holiday side dish. Her wild rice salad is as pretty as it is tasty, and if you want to try it, we'll have a link to it in our show notes. Hi, Liz. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm so glad to have you. Thanks for coming on. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm Liz Thompson, and I've been writing a food blog called I Heart Vegetables for about 10 years now. And my site is all about easy, healthy vegetarian recipes. I'm going to start. The very first thing is it's November and we are still in 2020. So <laughs> the first thing I want to know is how are you doing? How is it going in your home? How are you coping? <laughs> We're hanging in there. It has definitely been a very strange and unique year. But on the bright side, lots of people are cooking at home. And so there's really never been a better time to be a food blogger. <laughs> Oh, that's right. There's such a resurgence in home cooking. So that's kind of a silver lining for food bloggers. Yeah, absolutely. I also know that you kind of had some changes going on in your house. So you were already a work from home person, right? You transitioned recently from working in an office to doing this full time. Do I have that timeline correct? Yeah, exactly. I had taken my blog full-time in November of 2019. And so I was already working from home. I was used to the work from home routine, but my husband and I actually became foster parents at the start of March, about two weeks before everything shut down. So then suddenly we had two kids at home, my husband's working from home. And so I was used to working from home, but I was not used to everyone else being home as well. So that has definitely been a major change. Oh my goodness, you got everything this year in 2020. (laughs) Well, I have to say you seem to be handling it graciously because we haven't really seen much of a blip in in the content you're putting out. 
it's definitely been a wild year, but I do feel fortunate to have a job that is so flexible and is something that's kind of in demand right now with everyone looking for recipes. Well, the, the reason I had you on is because your photographs are so beautiful. We connected first through Instagram and a lot of our followers on Virginia Foodie, you know, we, we focus on local food and a lot of our followers are also vegetarian. And so there's some crossover interest. And then because you're sharing content on Instagram and, and we're sharing it, there's a lot of stuff where we have some crossover. So you and I connected through Instagram first, and then we met in person at a marketing conference a couple years ago. I was a speaker and you were a panelist. I think the topic that day was around social media and influencer marketing. So can you talk a little bit just about your blog and about how you're doing this as a full-time job right now? Yeah. So I actually started my blog back in 2010, which is crazy that it's been a decade. And obviously the influencer industry has just evolved so much, especially just over the last three or four years. I was actually working in social media marketing for Capital One and started to see just more and more opportunities of being able to turn my blog from a hobby into more of a business. And so as I started to think a little bit more strategically about my content and my content strategy and how I wanted to grow my platforms and what I wanted to do with them, I started to see more opportunities to partner with brands, partner with different companies to share about their products and to incorporate them into recipes. And as it started to evolve, I realized, wow, there's really something here. This is something that doesn't necessarily have to just be a hobby. And so as it was growing, I was thinking more and more about how do I turn this into something that really is a full-time career. And so it's been a long journey, but like I said, I went full-time in November of 2019. So it's been about a year, which is crazy, but it's been really exciting to see just the way the industry has changed and just the way that the industry has evolved. Well, there's a couple things I want to unpack in there because the first thing you said is you started 10 years ago. And so it's 10 years ago you started blogging and now now it's full time. So that's a long trajectory, I think, for a lot of reasons. I mean, you people have bills to pay. And so there's, you know, and stepping out on your own was probably a little bit risky and scary, but 10 years, I'm not sure that people think about that when they see all of this content going by, that that there is a lot to do to make that a full-time career. Yeah, it really is clearly something that was such a passion project. I don't think there are many things people would work out for 10 years <laughs> um, <laughs> without making a lot of money, at least in the first five or six years. It truly was just a hobby. And I think back then there really weren't very many people that were doing it as a job. So it truly was mm -hmm. just something fun that I did on the side. And then as I started to see other people kind of turning it into a side hustle or, you know, some second income or thinking about it as more of a career, I started to realize like, okay, there are more opportunities out there than I thought. And it really made me reframe it from this is just a fun thing that I do to like, how can I really hone in on this and 
become an expert in this field? How can I level up my photography? How can I make sure that I'm being strategic about the types of recipes I create? And as those things started to grow, it really did become more and more clear that this was a career path that I wanted to go down. Well, you also had the advantage of working with inside a bigger company that had their own goals and strategy going on. I mean, I don't know. I think sometimes the average person will look at what's going on on Instagram and think, oh, it looks so easy. But you talked about some some words that are like strategy and making it a business. And, you know, those are all things that are more entrepreneurial. So were you able to pull the things you were doing for Capital One and then sort of flip them around for food blogging? Yeah, I feel really fortunate that so much of my day job, the things I was learning were around content strategy and analyzing different metrics and kind of figuring out what works and what doesn't. And obviously the company and the content were really different, but a lot of the same principles around where you're investing and how to make sure the content is really effective and testing out new platforms and new types of content on different platforms. Like I was really fortunate that so much of what I was doing in my nine to five job was teaching me things that I felt could eventually apply to what I was doing for iHeartVegetables. And I think it really made me think more strategically about marketing in general. And now that I'm able to work with brands and companies thinking through, okay, what are they trying to get out of this partnership? Putting on my my hat from the corporate days of working with influencers and thinking about what did we want them to do for us and what were we trying to get out of it? And how can I take that into my collaborations today to make sure that whatever I'm producing for a company or a sponsor is really hitting on what they would consider to be metrics of success. So rather than me thinking, okay, maybe they just want a lot of attention on Instagram, they might be trying to get people to sign up for their email list. So how can they make sure that the content I'm creating is really delivering on what they would consider to be a successful partnership? So when I hear you describe all of that, that is very specifically marketing. And you talked about what you're doing as being influencer marketing. And I think sometimes people get distracted by that influencer side of it, right? Like, oh, it's all about me and, and, and my ideas. But to really have successful business relationships, you need to be working with people who are kind of filling the same need that your followers are hungry for, right? Exactly, exactly. And I love when I can have a partnership with a company where we can really collaborate and talk through what are they trying to achieve? What message are they trying to get across? And how does that tie into my content in a really organic and authentic way? I want to make sure that the partnership is delivering on what the brand is looking for, but also is something that my followers are going to be interested in and want to read about and want to share. And so finding ways where those things work together seamlessly is always the goal. Yeah, seamlessly is the trick there, right? You do not (laughs) want to be hitting people over the head with buy now, buy now, buy now. Exactly, exactly. And I think there are some really interesting ways that even with a brand that might not be as obvious for my content, for example, I partnered with Patient First, which is like an urgent care center. And we did a post about immunity boosting soup and talked about (laughs) different foods that can boost your immune system and different precautions you can take during cold and flu season. And honestly, it's been one of my most popular posts this year because people are looking for 
or any way to boost their immune system. And so it's content that my audience loves, but uh-huh. also is getting across some of the expertise of this urgent care facility. So sometimes it doesn't even have to be a really obvious partnership, but that content can still fit together really well. Oh yeah, I was just going to say immune boosting <laughs> like that is on trend. That's on yeah. trend. So did you create that recipe? Yeah, so I actually looked at, they had done a blog post on their website about different foods that could help boost immunity. And so I looked at what ingredients were on that list and how I could work them into a recipe that obviously taste really good and be easy for my followers to make. And so it was fun playing around with all those different flavors and ingredients and figuring out, okay, how can I come up with something that incorporates garlic and ginger and, you know, all these different flavors into one really delicious recipe. So that was kind of an assignment creation. (laughs) Yeah. Where else do you get your inspiration from? Where do you, you know, do you adapt or what do you do to get your ideas? Yeah. So when I first started cooking a lot, I would say most of my recipe inspiration came from opening up the pantry or the fridge, seeing what I had on hand and trying to figure out how to avoid going to the grocery store and making something with what I had available. And I think to some degree that still plays a role in what I do. If I'm like, oh, I have this can of white beans. I know other people feel the same way where they're like, okay, what do I do with this can of white beans? (laughs) So sometimes I still use that for inspiration. But now that I'm doing this as a career, I am a lot more strategic in how I think about the content I'm creating. So I do a lot of keyword research to look at what types of recipes are people searching for? Where is there a gap in those types of recipes? What are realistic terms that I think I can rank for in Google? So now there's kind of a lot more that goes into it just from a strategy perspective of making sure the content I'm creating is stuff that people are already searching for so that I can meet that need. That's what I was just going to say there. You are trying to meet the need that people are searching for. That's part of that research, right? Is you can learn a lot by just looking at what is what is trending online. And so you're you're kind of using that to actually say, "Okay, people want something. Here's how I could deliver an answer for that." Exactly, exactly. And so it's looking at what are things that, you know, people are looking for, but they might not be able to find or maybe people, there's some cookie recipe that's really trendy, but I don't see a vegan version or I don't see a gluten free version. And so how could I adapt it so that my followers that might have dietary restrictions would be able to eat it? Or maybe there's a recipe that looks really good, but it's super complicated. And I know that my readers would not make a recipe that requires 10 different specialty ingredients, like how can I simplify it so that they can make it with what they have in their pantry? I like the idea of leveraging like what's already in your pantry, but Virginia Foodie is also about all local food. We're trying to promote ways that people can get products into their kitchen or into their home or in their bellies that are coming from the region. So I know that a lot of your work happens with bigger brands and national brands, but vegetables in and of themselves are a product category that actually needs to be super fresh. So how and where do you find local ingredients? How are you bringing that into what you're doing? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel really fortunate to live in Richmond where it seems like we have so many different grocery stores. It's like we have every chain you could imagine. And 
different places have different local vegetables. And I'm always looking for what's something new, what's a different vegetable that maybe my readers haven't tried, but I can make it feel really approachable and simple so that maybe I can encourage them to try something that they don't normally think to pick up. I also think there's just so many good restaurants that one of the best ways to find new ingredients to use is to try these different restaurants, try some new concepts, some recipes that maybe I've never even heard of before to kind of get some inspiration on, oh, I hadn't thought about using carrots in that way. And maybe I can pick up some you know, rainbow carrots at the grocery store and find a way to add them to a recipe where you know maybe they're not normally used or something like that. And so I think obviously farmer's markets are a great spot and it's nice to be able to talk with somebody who is literally growing the produce and has plenty of recommendations and ideas. But I think also just stopping by a new market, stopping by a new grocery store, seeing what's in season and on the shelves, and then thinking through how can I incorporate this into either a recipe that feels really familiar familiar to my readers or helping them find a new way to use something that maybe they haven't tried before. Richmond has a great local food scene, and it's interesting to me to hear that you actually do some sort of market research by going to the restaurants around town. That's like that's like crazy to me, but I, what a great idea. Like, what are the chefs doing? There's so many restaurants that are pulling from local produce. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's definitely the fun kind of market research. <laughs> I I grew up in the Midwest and I did not eat a very interesting or diverse diet growing up. And I feel like when I moved to Richmond, my eyes were kind of opened and <laughs> there's just so many amazing chefs and so much foodie talent here. Anytime I'm feeling a little bit like I need a boost of inspiration, it's like there's always a new restaurant I can go try. <laughs> Yeah, I got to go. I'm sorry, we have to eat out tonight. I've got some work to do. (laughs) (laughs) It's a tough job, you know? (laughs) Well, another thing you've said a few times is about trying to make these things approachable to your readers. I, I like that concept that it's, you're not trying to be like, so far crazy off the beaten path. You're just trying to make interesting things attainable for a home cook. I love that idea. Yeah, it's been a it's been a really fun way to figure out how to connect with people, especially during 2020 when nobody wants to make a grocery store run for one ingredient that they don't have. And so finding those like really easy and approachable recipes, I think has really been key to my growth in this year in particular. Well, this year is really strange. I mean, this episode is airing right before Thanksgiving, which is traditionally all about like the turkey and the big family gathering. And and that's going to be different for a lot of people this year. And with so much focus on sort of turkey, it's not, it's not, you know, the veggies are like sort of the add-ons because you're really going to be binging on starch and and turkey. (laughs) But what do you have? Like, are there ideas that you have? What are some things that you think would be good ideas for holiday celebrations, either Thanksgiving or Christmas or how to try and make these at-home gatherings feel kind of festive with festive vegetables. 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think our Thanksgiving celebration is going to be much smaller than normal this year, but it doesn't mean that we can't still enjoy lots of delicious food. I do not indulge in the turkey, but I think that all of the sides are the best thing anyway. So I don't feel like I'm missing out at all, but I think it's fun to have, you know, all of the classic sides. You got to have some mashed potatoes. You have to have some green bean casserole, but I love also finding some some new side dishes to bring to the table. I love, I have a recipe for wild rice and butternut squash salad with pomegranate and pistachios. And it's just a little bit unexpected, but kind of has a lot of those fall flavors. And it's one of those recipes that you can make ahead of time and it's vegan and it's gluten-free. So it's one of those things that everybody can enjoy and it doesn't take up any extra space in the oven when you're trying to get everything ready. So I think it's always fun to try to come up with something a little bit different, but also that has a lot of those familiar flavors so that people are, are willing to try it and give it a chance. I actually have everything that you just named in my house right now, except for the <laughs> pomegranate. <laughs> you might have to make the salad. <laughs> I know. I think I'm going to have to do that because I'm like, oh, I have all of that. And we always, I have always brought home a couple pomegranates every year. I just, I remember my mom introducing me to that. And it's just kind of a fun thing to kind of like, it's a lot of work to get those cute mm-hmm. little jewels out. So that <laughs> really, uh, that sounds really yummy. Yeah. So one thing I always ask my listeners is, what inspired you to work in the food industry? I mean, you had a pretty good gig at Capital One. Like, what <laughs> what inspired you to work in food and and run your blog and then ultimately jump ship? Yeah. So I was a vegetarian and I was interested in in becoming vegan. So I went vegan for six months and I thought I'm going to start a blog just to kind of keep track of recipes that I like and what I learn and kind of how it goes in general. And after six months, I decided that I really missed cheese. (laughs) So I went back to being a vegetarian, but I found that I really enjoyed blogging. I really liked creating recipes. It was such a fun way to connect with other people that had similar interests. And so I thought, okay, well, the vegan thing wasn't for me. But I think there's really something to this whole blogging thing. And so I really just kept blogging because it was something really fun. I enjoyed learning about creating recipes. I started to fall in love with food photography. And it really just kind of evolved. And as it started to become a bigger part of my life, I realized that I wouldn't be able to keep it up as a side hustle forever, trying to balance work and what was becoming a second full-time job, something had to give. And so once I got to the place where I knew I could really turn the blog into a business, I made the jump and I'm so glad that I did. Well, so are we. Your photographs are really, really beautiful. What do you shoot with now? I'm just curious. I have a Canon 5D that was an investment and I absolutely love it. It's been, it's been worth it. (laughs) A lot of people start out with like iPhone photography and I always try and encourage people maybe start there just to have the habit of taking photos and thinking about lighting and things like that. But then you graduated to digital SLR. It's funny because when I first started, smartphone cameras were so terrible compared to what they are today that I think the photos that I was first taking from my blog were on a phone that had a slide out keyboard. So that's to give (laughs) you an idea of how old it was. So, you know, my pictures early on were just absolutely terrible, but you know, you have to get those out. You have to start somewhere. And so 
I eventually upgraded to like a point and shoot camera after probably two or three years, but I totally agree. iPhone photography or smartphone photography in general has come such a long way that now Mm -hmm. I think that is a really good option and a good place for people to start when they're not ready to invest into, you know, a really expensive, fancy camera. Particularly for social. Um, There are times when you really, really need like good, good, good high-res photographs and a food stylist and all those things, which as a blogger, you're all those things yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I get to wear all the hats. (laughs) Yeah, you wear all the hats. But yeah, I agree that you can start with, you can start with the smartphone. One of the things I need to do before we, we go is let people know where to find you and see these great photos on Instagram and your blog. So could you name all those destinations? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at iHeartVeggies and you can find my blog at iHeartVegetables.com. And that is heart spelled all the way out on Instagram. Yes, I know. Correct. Because you can't, you can't put that heart symbol in your, in your <laughs> web address. Exactly. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story today, Liz. I really enjoyed it. It's great talking to you always. I'd love to see your face. This was good, although no one can see it, but that's what we're doing. So thanks so much. Yeah, this was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about how to grow your own food brand, then click on Grow My Brand at vafoodie.com. If you're a lover of local food, then be sure to follow us. We are at VA Foodie on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join the conversation and tell us about your adventures with good food, good people, and good brands.